So this morning I have a single point to make. They teach you in homiletics that every decent sermon only has one point. <laughs> I don't know how, that tr- how true that is for me on a regular basis, but anyway, I'm not going to pull any punches this morning. I'm going to tell you what the point is right now at the very beginning, and then I'm going to keep talking for a while. Here's the, here's the point. God is setting his people free. And that freedom is experienced in and for worship. God is setting his people free. I mean, you get that much from Exodus. He's doing this so that they might experience God's freedom in worship, but he's also setting them free so that they can go worship. In fact, that is the only reason... (laughs) that Moses and Aaron give when they go to Pharaoh and demand the release of the Hebrew people. Did you catch that? The only reason they give for why the people should be set free is so that they can go out to worship. Here's the first thing Holly read. You know, Moses strides into Pharaoh's courts. He appears before him and says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And again, just a few sentences later, they say, let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. God has a particular reason for setting Israel free. It's so that they may worship Him. Um, Feasting and sacrifice are the language of worship. We can get the feasting part, right? It's still the case, right? We come to the table and we feast with the king. The sacrifice part is actually the very means by which we're able to come into God's presence. Christ's sacrifice, right? That's what we remember even as we approach the table. So they're intimately connected. Sacrifice and feasting, feasting and sacrifice. Um, So here's the point. God has... Set you free in Christ. Yes? Why? If Exodus is any indication here, so that you may worship Him, as Jesus put it, in spirit and in truth. So I wonder if you've ever actually considered that before. That worship is the principal action that God desires from you. That worship is the primary means of your response to God's forgiveness, to God's love, to His sacrificial death for you. Jesus died for you on the cross. That worship is your primary response to His glorious resurrection wherein He defeated death for you. It's the primary response of His glorious resurrection wherein He has taken your humanity up. And remember John 14? I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go to do that, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Worship is the primary means of your response to that goodness. It's your primary means of response to his giving of the spirit, his adoption of your life and person into his very family so that you don't need to fear God anymore in the sense of being afraid because God now through Christ in the spirit is your good and loving father. Why has God done all of this for you? Why has God looked at your plight even as he looked at the plight of Israel, enslaved, and come to deliver you? Why? So that you might worship him. Because worship is freedom. To worship Almighty God is to discover... I'm not overstating this. To worship Almighty God is to discover the purpose of your life. To worship is to find yourself rightly oriented in the world and rightly located within the hierarchy of beings that extends all the way from the triune God all the way down to you and us and then all the way down to every atom and quark and quasar and whatever those subatomic particles are that we don't know the names of yet. To worship is to be joined in love and adoration to the God who made you. To the one for whom every fiber of your being was created. To know and to experience the beauty and truth and goodness of the only one who can ever satisfy the longings that you hold within you. And maybe this is a kind of a little hyperbole, maybe this is some overstatement, but I'm using the language of Exodus here. Everything else is just slavery. Everything else is simply making bricks without straw. If you don't worship rightly, that means to worship God, then you will eventually find and come to worship something else something that does not actually really give you the freedom you hope for, but serves to enslave you. You know, some, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that we should worship him? Uh, And so he just gives them more work to do. Well, if you want to go worship, then you must need some more responsibilities to take care of for me. Um, So, you know, some might worship and orient their lives around work. It was the knee-jerk reaction of Pharaoh. Work is... Perhaps the highest thing for someone like this. Some worship their personal autonomy, meaning their ability to make their own decisions and have no one who bears authority over them, including God, and they mistake this as freedom, forgetting, well, that they live with this illusion that freedom is found in their own fallen and twisted ability to choose. They actually don't know what to choose or how to choose well. Some worship culture and so end up trapped in an endless cycle of being slaves after one election that goes one way and taskmasters after the next if it goes the other, failing to see people as more than enemies or at least having no clue how to love an enemy as Jesus commands and demonstrates. Worship. God sets us free from everything else so that we can worship the one who truly does give perfect freedom. And so if all that's true, 
If that's true, let's look for just a few minutes at some of the characteristics that just kind of emerge in this passage. Um, characteristics of this worship that Israel is set free to perform. Um, these characteristics are going to, as we move through Exodus, they'll grow, they'll develop, they'll become more nuanced in particular because especially when God meets them at Mount Sinai, He's going to give them um, some patterns that they're called to embody together in their worship. And He's given them some set patterns and um, rules and regulations and procedures so that they can enter in relationship with Him well. So that's going to come, but even right here at the beginning, even at the beginning, just seeing that God's calling them out to worship, we can see some characteristics emerging. Here's the first one. Um, first, this worship is something that is meant to be carried out Here's the word, together. Worship is meant to happen together. Uh, he did not say, Pharaoh, let me and my mom go out and worship together. He didn't say, Pharaoh, let all the ladies go out and worship for us together and the men can sit back and have a vacation day. He didn't say, let all the men go on their own or all the children. Um, it wasn't like half the families. It was all the entire nation that was called to go out together. I know of no instance in the Bible or in the history of the church where the worship of God is meant to be carried out separately from God's people. You know, there are times and places, certainly, where some will isolate themselves for a time. But it is always in service to the body. From the beginning, it has been clear that God's intention is to call a people to Himself. A people that are constituted by a universal body. It's how the end of the Bible pictures it. A people from every tribe and language and people and nation gathering all creation together and offering it back to God in praise. Um, that's the vision from the beginning and at the end for God's people together, a universal body to be joined in the worship and praise of Him. But here's the, here's the hard part right here. Maybe you're already feasting another time, but we're going to focus on sacrifice right now. Uh, Peter Lightheart points out in one of his books that sacrifice is essential to worship. Um, this is really fascinating to me um, because sacrifice is the means by which we worship, Christ's sacrifice. But it's also the pattern of everything. Sacrifice is. You might, I mean, this was interesting to me to, to read and to learn. What I want you to see is that worship is a condensation of all of life and of everything into a particular moment and, and sphere of time. And everything comes in and, and sacrifice as the pattern of everything is focused even more clearly in our worship. And it's the sacrifice of Christ, obviously not. There's a cross right there that we can gaze upon and see. It's the thing that hovers over us. And as I look at you, actually look up and see the Celtic cross in the back. Sacrifice frames our worship, doesn't it? Christ's. But it's also the pattern of everything. So I want to show you that. This is part of why worship is so important. Um, let's begin with a question. Do you happen to remember what the first sacrifice was in the Bible? 
Gotta think Genesis. Early, early, early. Right? There was there was there was a murder that happened after the sacrifice was judged differently by God. So so Cain and Abel, if you're thinking that, you're getting pretty close. Um, Actually, the first sacrifice in the Bible is Adam. Adam. God noticed that it was not good for the human being to be alone. He needed a helper fit to carry out the work. God had assigned him to multiply and fill the earth. So he needed a man and a woman. So the human being was separated into male and female and then come back together. And so they're able to multiply and to fill the earth. But not only that, they were called to be priests in the garden because the garden is the first temple. The garden is the first sanctuary. The garden is the first place where humanity meets with God and serves God and relates with God. The human being needed a liturgical helper. Um, Ish and Isha, male and female, together there. Eden is that first place. And so it's also the first place where we get the first sacrifice. God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep like death and opened his side, separated his side, opened it up, and took from his side a rib which he fashioned into a woman. And Adam, awakening, and resurrection of sorts, says something like, at last this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Did you catch the sacrifice? Adam's divided into two pieces, which is what happens to animals when they were laid upon the altar, Right? He is divided into a state near death, but the final aim, and here's always the goal of sacrifice, is to be reunited again in one flesh with the woman. He is divided in two to reach a higher state of unity. That's what's happening in the sacrifice. The multiplicity is coming together in a higher unity. That's what sacrifice does. It's a movement from death to new life. So if this is true for Adam... I'll show you how it's also true for the first week of creation. Creation itself follows the pattern of sacrifice. When God created the heavens and the earth, He separated them. He separated the waters from the waters and the day from the night. He separated the dust, some of the dust of the earth from the rest of the dust of the earth and then He formed it into a human being and then He separated that human being into two, male and female. The week of creation follows a pattern of sacrifice, division, separation for the state of a higher purpose, a higher unity. I mean, there's a mystical element of this, isn't there? What's true for Adam, what's true for creation, is also true for God's covenant people, Abraham. When Abraham received, again, the covenant promise, it means to cut a covenant, right? A covenant promise that God would make his descendants a nation that would bless the entire earth. God put him into a deep sleep, just like Adam. I don't know if you remember this story. I think it's Genesis 15. And after Abraham was placed in this deep sleep, just as Adam was, the sacrificial animals were separated and placed on two sides, like two aisles in the sanctuary. And then God passed through them opening up a new future for Abraham and the world, division and covenant sacrifice leading to higher purpose and higher unity. What's true for Adam, the creation, God's covenant people beginning with Abraham is also true for the people in the Exodus. That's where you are right now. When Yahweh separated Israel from Egypt and led them through the separated waters, 
that stood up on either side. He anointed them as a kingdom of what? Of priests. And what do priests do? They offer sacrifice and intercede for others. He made them a kingdom of priests whose role it was to make sacrifice to God. To be in their own way, separated from the world, so that they could also serve the world, leading it to a higher state of unity with God. What's true for Adam, the creation, Abraham, the covenant people, for Israel and Exodus, is obviously and always made most clear in the person of Christ. And when Jesus, the priest, who is at the same time the sacrifice offered, passes into death on the cross, his side is separated like Adam's, divided with a Roman spear, and from that side pours forth blood and water. Baptism, the waters stand up on either side, and communion, where we feast. And out of that abundance, his own bride is formed, his own wife, the Eve that is the church, the church who is called to feast with him at the table and live in such a way, God-oriented and sacrificial way that we bless the whole world. Worship, feasting, sacrifice, it is why you were set free. It is God's call on your life. But it's not just yours. It is ours. It's what we're called to do together. Now, if that much is clear, I want to give you one final thought. And this might show you that whether you like it or not, you live the pattern of sacrifice. It's just that in worship, that pattern is honed and rightly directed towards the one who calls us. In Theopolitan Liturgy, I'm just going to read a quote to you. A final paragraph reads, Sacrifice is your life too. You started life in the cozy comfort of your mother's womb. But then you got squeezed out, screaming. It's <laughs> a great line, huh? <laughs> you were literally separated at that point, were you not? A separation, a cutting. One thing ceased and another thing, and freedom in a different way began. You died to the womb in order to come alive in the world. Then you had your first day of school, your first date, your wedding, your first child, your first grandchild, the death of your mother and father. Each of these crisis moments is a small death, a separation that shatters the world as you know it. As life carries on, it carries on with a new unknown horizon. You're constantly dying to this to come alive to that. You live sacrifice. You live it every day. And so does the world. Each day descends into the darkness of night, into sleep, death's second self. Until morning breaks like the first morning, and blackbird speaks like the first dawn, and you wake to discover a new creation. Worship as sacrifice to the Lord is that which moves you and all of us in the world itself. Here's the pattern that unfolds. From division to reunification. From death to resurrection. From grave to glory. It's why God set us free. 
so that we could experience the wonder and the fullness of him who joins us to his life. Who would want to miss out on that? Um, Who would actually dare to miss out on that? Worshiping God together is where freedom is found. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.